know, I was handcuffed and tied up at, at points. And so it was a real exercise in understanding how God could watch this happen while also trying to balance my heart that I knew this was not of his plan. This evil was brought on by, you know, humans and, and not him and that I needed to still find respite and care in that. And I do believe that, you know, I was really a fairly new Christian and was holding that so closely to my heart that he just stepped in and was able to just rescue me and give me strength. Hey everyone, it's Mary Demuth with The Restory Show, and I am so excited about a new friend that I met a couple weeks ago. Her name is Kim Case, and welcome to the show, Kim. Hi, thank you, Mary. So uh, give us a, a little bit of an idea of how you grew up and um, just a little bit of your origin story. Sure, I'm thrilled to be here. So, you know, I was born into a family that um, followed the cycles of abuse and addiction, and I found myself swirling in that circle at a very young age. My parents divorced when I was just four, and alcohol had a grip on both of my homes. It was tough growing up in that broken environment. However, God never let me fall completely. Uh, By the grace of of his love, I had a next door neighbor who just really felt that our family needed uh, the grace that he offered. And at a very young age, uh, the family started inviting me to church and to Sunday school, and I would go along with them as a very young girl. Um, You see, my dad's family was Jehovah's Witness. And so for me, uh, there were a lot of conflicting messages, but one thing was certain. I knew the Holy Spirit had a grip on my heart and um, that I felt the love and the possibilities that were in my future. That's amazing. And so you you grew up, did you get married? Do you have kids? I did both. And <laughs> yeah, I have two wonderful girls that are now adults, which is seems a little strange as I reflect, but uh, they are um, out of college. My, my youngest is about to graduate and uh, are starting their lives. And it's wonderful to see them uh, break some of the cycles. And, uh, you know, I was the first generation to go to college and, and they were so willing and ready. And so that's exciting to see. Um, I was married and um, kind of fell into that pattern and, and divorced. But um, we fortunately were able to maintain a strong relationship. And so we've kind of parented all together as a family, regardless of the divorce. That's great. So uh, what story would you like to share with Restory listeners today? Well, um, you know, it's a, it's a tough one to talk about, but it's really um, what led me to the depth of my relationship with Christ. And while it's pretty violent and um, very strong victimization, I, um, you know, I was really saved and I came out okay on the other end. So um, at 19, I um, was ready to jump into life and was in that wonderful place where everything is in front of you. Uh, I had kind of come through some of the struggles that the family uh pattern had put before me. And um, I thought, hey, things are good. I had the dream of being a flight attendant and I had great friendships and um, I did have a relationship with Christ uh, and fortunately was baptized um, in early 1990 because just a few months after my baptism, I was followed home unbeknownst to me from work one night uh, and was kidnapped from my driveway. I can't even imagine how scary that I, I, I just, 
I think a lot of people have that fear, like, especially when you're a kid, you know, you have this fear of someone's going to chase after you, grab you or whatever, but you actually had that experience. So uh, what went through your mind when that initially happened? Well, Mary, it is such a, um, such a difficult thing to truly experience because like you said, we all have that fear and that worry. And when the realization hit me that it was actually happening, Um, I think you go into an automatic pilot kind of place, which is sort of a coping skill and a mechanism that was helpful to me. But at the same time, you just have to act. And our brain fortunately allows us some skills that we don't have to try to put into place. And so, you know, there was a gentleman out of his car at the end of the driveway. And while my my brain tried to think that maybe this was someone I knew and I tried to make sense of what was happening before I knew it. He grabbed me and we struggled and uh, was screaming and all the things that you would assume. Um, and then another jumped out of the car and uh, it turned out that there were four. Uh, actually, they had followed me home from work and, um, and you know, threw me into the car. So uh, this was at night, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. It was. It was at night. And, uh, you know, you try to think of all the things that you could have done differently or, you know, how that goes. But um, really, this was just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Those four uh, men had been sentenced to some time in jail for some previous crimes, and they were out wanting to kind of party and have fun before they went, you know, back into jail. So they had traveled Oh, a couple of hours from a, a town south of me and, and just happened to, to, you know, find me in their path. And the the assault and the hostage situation lasted, you know, nearly 16 hours. Um, there were multiple rapes and, and sodomies and, um, you know, I was handcuffed and tied up at, at points. And so it was a real um, exercise in understanding how God could watch this happen while also trying to balance my heart that I knew this was not of his plan. This evil was brought on by, you know, humans and and not him. And that I needed to still find respite and care in that. And I do believe that, you know, I was really a fairly new Christian and was holding that so closely to my heart that he just stepped in and was able to, um, to just rescue me and give me strength. So as you were, uh, I mean, I've heard a little bit of your story already. You were taken to multiple locations. Is that correct? I was, Mary. And that is, you know, part of that nightmare because we hear those stories that if you're ever taken from, you know, a place or a main uh, scene, then it's highly likely that you're going to be murdered. And I knew that was was in their mind. I knew that was the plan. And um So somehow at 19, I had to try to figure out a way to almost outsmart them, or I was trying to have them see me as a human being and trying to somehow relate to them and help them question what they were doing. Um, But, you know, it was, it was certainly a challenge. And at at one point, um, three of them had had left. Um, They went on to their various tasks and I was left handcuffed to a young man who was also 19 and his job was to kill me. But fortunately he, you know, kind of passed out, fell asleep. Uh, we were in a hayloft of a barn and, um, I was very much awake and I was very aware that he seemed to be in such a deep sleep that perhaps I could, 
you know, take this moment to get away. And I, I became aware also that the handcuff was on, you know, fairly loose, I guess, as, as, as a handcuff could be on you. And so I began to just pull my hand from, from the cuff and I worked and wiggled and strained and, um, found my, my hand free of the cuff. And so I knew I had to act quickly and I, just really raised myself and jumped out of that hayloft and and ran ran. And so when you uh, when you were free of the handcuff, did you end up like breaking your wrist or anything, or did you just scrape the heck out of it? Yeah, de- definitely just just scraped the you know scraped the skin. Um, and you know I think this was one of those moments where I felt the the hand of God truly allowing this to happen. I mean, I do have small wrists, fortunately, but um, I feel like that moment was was designed for the freedom from the cuff. And so, you know, I really was able just to slip it out of there. Well, not slip it out of there. Actually, like you said, I was struggling, but um, but I was able to to get it free. And so then you, you ran, and I'm sure you must have had adrenaline, but also a lot of fear, and all the things that had happened to you physically were uh, terrible. Uh, how did you, did you look for a house? What, what happened next? Well, I did, and, and as I have recalled it through the years, um, and, you know, in the initial hours afterwards for the interviews with police and things, it, it turns out that I ran quite a ways through a, a deep marsh and creek area and trees. And but uh, like you said, the adrenaline was was running and and I was just trying to find a place of safety. There was a house that I could see, but my fear was that the others that left the scene earlier maybe were there. I didn't you know, know where they lived. And. Uh, didn't know where they went. Um, and I also saw toys in the yard, kids' balls and, and outdoor toys. And I just remember feeling like I am so afraid to go to that door, not clothed, bloody and bruised and, you know, just looking such a mess and just to to bring fear and trauma to that family or to a young child. So I remember I hid in the bushes for more than an hour and you know, I was vomiting and I had some f- the fatigue and I just wasn't sure what to do. And finally, th- I just felt a burst of energy and thought, I, I have to go. This is my only you know, place to go, my only place of safety. And so you knocked on the door mm-hmm. and what happened? Yeah, there was the most angelic, grandmotherly woman there. And um, she immediately opened the door and embraced me. And I just said, I need help. And she wrapped, you know, a blanket, a house coat type thing around me. And I felt comfort instantly. And she brought me into the kitchen and I'll never forget, you know, just the, the look of that farmhouse kitchen. And, uh, you know, I wanted to call my mom and, um, and of course the police and, um, you know, it was scary. I'd never really been in a situation to engage with the police at all. And so that was very scary. And, and also I remember, you know, my mom, my family, uh, no one knew that I was gone. And I'm thankful for that now because I imagine those hours would have been just a torment to them. You know, as we see things unfold now on the news and people are missing just the trauma and the worry that the family experiences, you know, my family didn't have to go through. I was living on my own. I had moved out, you know, I was trying to be independent. And, um, and so while people had called and were looking for me that day, no one jumped to the conclusion at that point that I was missing. So um, when we did make contact with my mom, 
of course, my parents both were just, you know, in shock and jumped in the car and, and headed our way, which was about an hour and a half from where, um, where I lived and where they kidnapped me from. Wow. And so then you were talking with the police and you had to recount all of that and let us know um, uh, what happened next and how uh, did you go through like the rape kit? Did they, um, did they ask you to identify? How did that work? Yeah, these uh, minutes and seconds really, you know, after a victimization uh, like that are so critical in the way that people are dealing and supporting victims of crime. Uh, at that time, you know, it was in the early 90s and there wasn't a lot of support for um, survivors of sexual assault. And so, um, fortunately, however, this particular law enforcement agency did um, have someone that was more specially trained. They, this a woman, a deputy, had been to some training, and they immediately brought her on the scene. And she was able to, you know, really say some magic words uh, that were very simple. But that is, you know, I believe you. This is not your fault. We, I will help you with this. And um, and I think that set the tone for me that they were on my side. Um, and you know, after hours of basically interrogation, as I had to relay every account of every assault by all four men, which at some points were happening at the same time. So it was difficult to really recall. And oftentimes after trauma, your brain puts locks away certain memories in order so that you can survive mentally. And so, you know, it doesn't always come out chronologically or in a way that makes a lot of sense. And so they gave me a lot of time to just stabilize and allow those memories to surface and to share. And, and then, um, as you've indicated, of course, then next comes the, the really brutal rape kit where you go to the emergency room, the hospital, and, you know, I think doctors and nurses are much more highly trained now to offer compassion and concern. And I know the nurses now will usually do the entire exam, which is very helpful. They understand the delicate nature of the evidence and um, they're trained to, to perform that exam in a certain way. In my case, it was early on and, you know, when those trends were emerging. And so I just remember the doctor coming in and kind of shrugging his shoulders and saying, well, tell me what happened, what happened to you, you know, and where do you begin? Right. And so it was very traumatizing. Um, however, I've kind of let all that go. I realized that, you know, we do what we do until we know better and then hopefully we do better. So, um, you know, I've really been able to take that whole experience with the criminal justice system and the medical field and, and turn that into positive learning opportunities. And really, that's what I've dedicated my life to is working alongside those professionals and showing them how to treat crime victims with compassion and with love while still doing their important job, however, making it less traumatizing and re-victimizing for the victims and their families. Yeah, that's a, an amazing thing to hear that you've taken it to that place where you can help others and enlighten enlighten people to know how to deal with a, a rape victim in a compassionate and sweet way. Just, I'm grateful for you that that you found that pathway through. Uh, did you have to testify at the at the hearing at the trial, and how did that work? And did did they was justice served? 
Well, um, thank you for framing it that way because justice being served looks different for everyone. And, um, you know, in my case, uh, I am thankful that all four of the men were uh, found. It took several days to find the two most severe criminals. They had stolen a car and fled all the way to Florida. And so they were on the run for days and days. Um, but eventually they found all four. And uh, one difficult piece is that they tried them all individually. And Mary, there were three different counties that were involved. So each county, oh. yeah, they charge it. Uh, individually and for the things that happened in their county. So it was a very long and laborious um, experience going through this system, which is a maze anyway. Even today, it's just a maze for families to go through. It's very difficult. But again, I, I feel like God was planning you know, these little angels along the way, because I, there were people in the system that were so compassionate and walked that story out with my family and me and helped us with information and listening and good pre preparation for all the different hearings. So in all, there was a kind of a combination of some guilty pleas and some um, some trials. I did have several trials and, and testifying was difficult. You know, the defense attorneys do everything they can to to confuse you and trip you up and make it appear that you're lying. And, um, you know, that in itself is like another rape because you think there's so much evidence and it's so clear what happened. But yet, you know, they still try to um, make you appear the one on fault on the stand. And so, um, you know, and again, I had never been through anything with the criminal justice system. So it was all different for me. But um, in the end, they were all found guilty or pled guilty to a variety of charges and have some of them have a hundred more than 100 years in uh, our Department of Corrections. And a couple of them had less due to the types of charges that, that were filed against them. Um, but you know that at that phase, it's still not done. I've had six parole hearings over the years, uh, five on the driver of the uh, the car, and um, he will get out probably within the next 10 years. The others, I think, will be in for another 20 or 30 years. But, um, you know, just having that be the story of my life in those early 20s, you know, really changed what, um, you know, what I thought was possible. And, and it definitely um, set me on a path that I didn't expect to be on. That's for sure. Yeah, just the trauma involved in that story is so big. How did you begin to walk through healing and, you know, questioning God and where were you and all the things that, that a lot of sexual abuse victims ask those very honest questions? Yes, yes. Um, you know, there's no, uh, there wasn't a perfect recipe. I feel like, um, you know, my my faith did enable me to understand one key truth, and that is, you know, that this was not the story that God meant for my life. And while, you know, people brought this on in a way that was so brutal and violent, I had to try to hold on to what he had intended. And so for me, I just kept seeking that. Um, and along the way, some of those people that really, I believe, were, you know, planted in my life to offer hope and encouragement, um, 
showed me that we could actually make it through and that I could still hold on to the joy that, you know, I was meant to have and that I was uh, created with. And um, there were lots of tough conversations with God and lots of tears in church and lots of, lots and lots of counseling sessions where I just broke down in, you know, confusion about why this had happened. But I think um, for me, you know, I was taught early on by my counselor and, and by my faith support group that, you know, really, um, it's all about day by day, letting the Holy Spirit come in and heal that. It wasn't up to me to try to master this or overcome this, that there would be help. And, and I felt that help in so many different ways, just even through my relationship with, with God and reading scripture and reading the stories of others who had struggled in the Bible. And, you know, I remember a particular moment, uh, when I actually was trying to go to college and establish some normalcy in life. And we had a guest speaker on campus, uh, and it's a person you may uh, recognize her name, Maya Angelo. And, uh, you know, it was such a gift to hear her speak about just violations that come against, you know, women and cultures. And I remember the words she spoke about trauma that, you know, it has happened to many generations before, and it will happen to many generations after. And it's our job to come together and find strength and lift each other up and to celebrate our voices. And, you know, I get chills. I can still remember that moment. The dress she was wearing was a sparkly uh, dress. And, um, I knew that at that moment that I was not alone, that not only was not was I not alone from my heavenly father, but that there was a sisterhood and a brotherhood of people who had also suffered that, you know, we could join hands and become stronger together. That's amazing. And so helpful. I think that's part of the healing journey is, is community. How has, how has having other people in your life been helpful to you on your healing journey? And then secondly, what, are, what were some of the terrible things people said that didn't help at all? Yeah, well, there was many of those moments. And, uh, you know, I learned a phrase that, that, you know, early on from someone basically saying, I'll forgive you for asking that question or for treating me this way. If you forgive me for not answering it or for walking away, <laughs> because sometimes that was just the easiest thing. You know, people, I think, speak out of... Um, just their own questioning. And it's not necessarily they're trying to judge or, or place blame. They just, it's so unbelievable that these kind of tragedies happen that I think people still just don't even can't comprehend that, you know, one would have to go through that. And it questions their own level of safety in their world and everything that we hear. Yeah. Um, But, you know, on the other note, there were so many, communities that, that came around. But the most interesting was that, you know, my family and close friendships, you know, other than my mom and I, others, we struggled a little because there was a lot of, um, kind of that survivor guilt. Uh, you know, I had been with a friend that evening, um, at at the restaurant when we walked out together and I know she felt like, why did I have to go through this? And she was spared. And, um, but it was logistically, I drove out of the parking lot last and, you know, after her. And so, um, but I had to step into this kind of counseling role for her, which was challenging, but to, you know, help support her and, uh, some of the other relationships, they just really didn't know 
what to say or how to even act normal around me. But again, we were so young, you know, in our early 20s. And, um, you know, I would say even today, society has faced more of these situations, or at least they're more well-known to where the conversations happen within families and, you know, these uh, referring to these horrible shootings at schools and these mass casualty events that, you know, the trauma is out there kind of happening to everyone. Um, and, and hopefully that does open the doors to better communication about that and allowing people to process feelings. You know, at that stage for me, it wasn't the case. There were no breaking news stories and social media posts about this happening or that happening. And it was just so odd and rare. And, um, and so we struggled. Um, but I had a wonderful counselor, uh, who was a beautiful Christian woman and, uh, actually I thought I was okay. I didn't think I needed to go to counseling. I was just trying to manage, but my dear friend, Susan, who was a little older than I was, you know, saw things differently. And so she took the initiative to call and, and kind of interview counselors, meet with them to see who she thought I might get along with. And she actually made an appointment and then told me we were going to lunch and to <laughs> counseling appointment. Um, yeah. So, but it, it really allowed me to process so many things from childhood, also the assault and the rapes and just the, the pain of going through the system. And so, you know, that was a turning point for me though, because I did have a place to, where I could just talk about it all safely. And, and that was very important. Uh, yeah. I don't, I, I don't think I can emphasize enough the importance of good counselors and good counseling. Really, really important. When I want to just jump back a little bit. When you were in the middle of that complete terrible trauma, was there a moment in the middle of it where you sensed God with you, or did you check out? Like most people go through, you know, major traumatic breaks and they they just kind of check out. But and that's part of God's grace too. So I just wanted to know, curiously, if you had a moment where you were like, "Okay, God is with me. He's going to help me through this." Yes. Uh, thank you for asking me that because there are actually two moments, one during the uh, brutality of the assault and one in the months afterwards where I was at a true breaking point. Um, but during the assault, there was a moment that they had uh, pulled me down by a creek and um, they had handcuffed me to the uh, underpinnings of the bridge that we were under and they had kind of walked away um, and then come back and they were assaulting me and um, and then they walked away again and I just remember stirring and all of a sudden I the sound of the birds and the water uh, in the little creek became so loud and a roar of these beautiful nature sounds that just, it was almost as if it was the voice of God. And I remember opening my eyes and just feeling as if I could see all that happening, but I knew I was being held. And even today, I can feel the feeling of being completely surrounded with this love feeling that was so pure. And it enabled me to almost refocus and re-engage with my cognitive abilities to understand how I could escape at some point and to believe that I could escape at some point. It, it was as if I was at that point of giving up um, and, and 
that full love feeling came in the in the way of nature. And um, there's so much comfort for me still there in the sound of the birds or the trees blowing in the wind and uh, the water sound of water in, in the creek. Um, and I know I know without a doubt that that really was the hand of of God just reaching down and grasping me tightly. Um, I, I know that because I experienced it again um, about, oh, I would say three months after the assault when I, the, the thickness of the court system was starting and I was being called in to testify and I, you know, was facing these strained relationships with friendship and trying to understand how I was supposed to work again and stabilize life. And um, I had moved in with my great aunt at that point, just as a place of serenity. She, you know, was in her late seventies and just had this sweet home and, um, allowed me to come in and she would cook for me and just take care of me. And I was upstairs in what she called the blue room because of each room had its color. And, um, and I just felt broken. I felt so overwhelmed by all that I was having to face at this young age of 20. And I looked in the mirror and I remember this light that was behind me and this shininess that I could see as I looked at myself, I didn't really recognize the face in the mirror, but what I recognized was this immense love feeling. And, um, and it again was that feeling of just being held. And I think that was a moment where I would have to really broken, been broken. And, um, and yet I just, you know, broke down, got down on my knees and cried out to the Lord. And again, remember that, or was reminded that this was not my burden to carry alone. And it was not even my burden. And that, um, you know, this was, I could make it through it. So those moments have been so uh, special to me through the years as, you know, as I faced um, things, consequences uh, that I feel like are a result of that trauma that I faced and, and just the path and the trajectory of that my life afterwards. And, um, the fact that that's just hasn't been fair, but I always reflect back on the moment of feeling so loved and knowing that this could have purpose. And, you know, you asked earlier about just my work and how I was able to do kind of turn that into something good. But for me, it was, it was just, I was compelled to, because I knew that there were so many people and it, whether they were a Christian or not, and they didn't understand that love, they didn't understand that peace, and maybe they didn't have that same wonderful experience with the system, uh, with people stepping up to help them. And I thought, I've got to do what I can to offer that. And it was a com being compelled. And so tell us a little bit about what you do right now with victims and with uh, law enforcement. Sure. Yeah. So I have had such a heart for the work that law enforcement does each day because they really stepped up and um, joined me in, in that moment of crisis. And their job is so challenging because they face these nightmares that people are experiencing every day, um, every hour and every minute. And their lives are, you know, at risk as well, as we see, you know, more lately. And so I just knew that by sharing my story with them in an open and non-judgmental way, I could share the ways that their words helped me and I could share the times when their actions or um, lack of compassion in certain moments or the way they asked a certain question, how it would maybe hurt or re-victimize. And not in a way to say you did this wrong, but in a way to say, 
this is how we might do it better next time. And so it was so uh, just the partnerships that I was able to, to gain by sharing openly and by telling them my story and being vulnerable with it, I think allowed them to want to do better because everyone has loved ones, uh, brothers, sisters, wives, husbands that are victimized and hurt. And we would want someone to handle them with such compassion and you know, that's why they're in that work to, to serve. And so, um, for me, I've been able to help them through training. I do a lot of training, um, opportunities where I'll share my story and we go in deep dive into investigations of, uh, child abuse, sexual assault, domestic violence, and, and talk through each individual component and what are some things they can do that make it less difficult for those victims. Uh, I've done the same with the courts and, uh, with a bunch of different allied groups that work with victims, um, work to change laws to be more friendly, to give victims more rights in the system, instead of just being a witness to what happened, even though it happened to them personally, but to give them rights where they had a voice. Um, so that finding justice didn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily mean that there is charges and an arrest, because sometimes that just doesn't happen, um, but that they felt cared for and a part of the system. And that gave them some sense of justice, you know, as well. Yeah, that's so important. And I, you know, had I had that when I was, if, had anyone ever taken any interest in what I went through and taken me to the police, that would have been really great. But uh, if that had happened to me, I would have really appreciated that tenderness, a compassion and that extra um, understanding that a victim's not just a crime victim, but they're actually a human being who's gone through trauma. And as you said, we, we both have been through it and, and, uh, it's an interesting journey. <laughs> so what advice would you give to someone who's gone through a traumatic experience? You know, that's, um, that's such, uh, kind of a simple question. However, the answer is so in-depth because I think the, the first piece of advice that I give someone when I experience a loss with them, because that's the work I do now is advocacy. So, you know, I've joined people in those moments of loss and trauma. And I think for me, I, I ask them to lean deep into themselves and to realize that this was not the path that was laid out for them. This is something that happened due to you know, the act of another, but they have another story. And so when you and I met and I learned more about you and, and the way that you reframed this restory, it was, it's beautiful. You put words to what I had been thinking all these years, because, um, I have to keep reminding myself that my story matters. And just because this is the story that had developed, there was still another story that God had put before me that I could still claim. And all I had to do was take one step, another step, another step, and that story would eventually be revealed. And it's still being revealed. Um, you know, of course, life has not been this easy cakewalk, even despite this. Um, but I still believe that he is revealing that story to me every day through new friendships, through new relationships, and just through, you know, the beauty of the world that we live in. That it's not the end of your story. It's not the defining moment of your life that there can be more, there can be something new. God can do good work. Yes, absolutely. And as a matter of fact, I think he, he likes when we can shine his light despite these losses, because I'll be honest, there's 
probably no way I could have really survived and overcome without his glory and his grace. And um, so when people say, I never knew that about you, or I look at you and I never would think. And for me, it's such a great you know, reflection of his love in me and his power in me. And so I can just surrender to that and say, it's all God. It's all God. <laughs> yes, I would definitely agree with that. So as you look back over the past year, just to keep it a little fresh, how has God restoried you or given you a new story this past year? Well, Mary, um, you know, even in this current time, I face challenges. I lost my mom recently. Uh, she got West Nile virus, which was, uh, you know, not something typical and, and got, was deathly ill. And, and then passed from that, I lost a sister to breast cancer. Um, so the journey still is unfolding with, with difficulties. But for me, I think the way that I see his, um, his restoring is that he continues to uh, bring new things uh, into my life and new opportunities, not for a personal gain, but opportunities where I can share uh, my experience in complete humbleness and vulnerability to just encourage someone that I, you know, may never know, but so that they can see and learn about the power of his love and healing. Um, and, but then also, you know, he's given me wonderful opportunities to um, speak at a national level and do some work in development with like the FBI, for example, on some of their big initiatives to help victims of crime and mass casualties. And and so he's brought me to the table to have a voice. And and so um, while I know that's completely his, his directive, you know, uh, I look at those things and I, again, it reminds me that there is still, you know, a path before me that he's walking me, walking me on. And so I just have to join him, grab his hand and, and have belief and belief that it's possible. And I think for me, reminding myself that um, when I felt hopeless, uh, which has been more than once, more than so many times that to reframe, uh, like you said, and find and realize that I'm just hope lost, that it's just lost right now, but I don't have to give up and feel like this is the end. Um, you know, the power of next is really important because I don't know what's next. And, um, and there's so many good things that can come next. And I'm, I try to get excited and remind myself to feel the joy of anticipation and not just the pain of defeat. So good. And I love that. The power of next. That's really the at the heart of the restory message is just that this is not all there is. There is a next. And thinking about even heaven, you know, that you'll be reunited with your mom and your sister and that there will be no more tears. And we have uh, the hope of the new heavens and the new earth. And, and just the beauty of all of that, too, is also helpful for us to keep in mind. Thank you so much for being on the Restory Show, Kim. Uh, do you mind if I pray for you? I would love that, Mary. Thank you. Jesus, thank you for um, this story. It's a hard story, and it's, uh, it's beautiful grace in the midst of trauma. And um, I thank you for taking that trauma and turning it around in her life and causing her to look next. And Lord, thank you that she's building the kingdom because of the pain. And Lord, thank you that you've brought healing into her life. And 
I pray that for the person listening today who may feel like they can't get over the past or they can't get over the trauma. I pray that you would send angels into their lives, people who will listen, counselors who will dignify their stories, people who will walk alongside and not judge. And um, Lord, I know that the healing journey is a long one and there's triggers aplenty. And even some people listening to this episode may have been triggered. I just pray your tender compassion over them today, that, that you're still on the throne, that you empathize with the victim, that you uh, you understand what it's like to be tormented and hurt. And so thank you for being that empathetic Savior who loves us so much. We trust you right now. We trust for you for healing. We may not always have the answers or understand the why, but we can trust that you are good. And that's that's a good place to get. So I pray today that we would learn to trust you and believe that you're good. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And if you'd like to know a little bit more about today's show, you can go to RestoryShow.com for the latest episode and information. And also I have a new podcast called Pray Every Day, and you can hear me pray every day for you after I say a scripture. We've been going through Philippians and then uh, Psalm 119, which is a nice long one, and then another one is going to be coming up. And so you hear scripture in order, uh, and then I pray for you. So if you really need prayer in your life, and and I bet that Kim would raise her hand and say that uh, prayer was a big part of her healing. I know for me, that's a big part of my healing. So go to prayeveryday.show and may you live a brand new story this week.